Today's guest is Graham Nichols, an author, new media artist, peaceful spiritual activist and most importantly for tonight's show, an expert in out-of-body experiences. With over 100 journeys outside of his body, he is now helping others through a series of online workshops and retreats to experience the phenomena for themselves. A very warm welcome to the Spirit Guides Network Radio. It's lovely to have you on. Welcome you as a guest. Thank you for having me. It's fascinating to have you on. I know you're going to talk about our body experiences and you've been um, fortunate enough to have been experiencing these from a very young age, from what I understand. You've had quite a few of them as well. Uh, before we get going on, though, I'd just like to sort of get some context around your background and how this all started to happen to you, really, um, You know, and what sort of got you on your journey. Um, well, I suppose the first thing that ever happened was when I was very young. I was maybe between five and seven, not exactly sure what my age was. But um, I woke up in the middle of the night, walked out into my hallway of the flat I grew up in. I grew up in a tower block in central London. Um, not your archetypal place to have um, strange experiences. But I walked out into the hallway and there was a a human figure standing in the doorway that led out onto the landing of, of the flats, um, just standing there kind of looking at me. Um, and as you can imagine, this was pretty scary for a very young child. So I, you know, didn't know how to react at all and was totally terrified, really. Um, I remember kind of, I sort of dropped to my knees and was kind of holding on to the ground almost to try and get some sense of stability and um, safety from that, from the surface, the hardness kind of thing. Um, and then essentially I looked away from it and I looked back and it was still there and it just didn't disappear. Um, and then eventually I just lost consciousness or, you know, my memory is pretty vague on what happened after that. But from that point on, it was like everything had kind of changed. And when I was at school and when I was around other kids, I always had this sense of there being more to the world than meets the eye. I didn't know exactly what that was at the time, but there was a real sense that there was something and it was always with me. Um, and then when I got to about 12, I started having these... I don't know whether to call them out-of-body experiences, but they were very similar to what people describe classically in, in out-of-body experiences, but slightly different because what would happen is I would lay down to go to sleep and then I would find myself floating vertically rather than horizontally, which is how most people describe the experience. I would be floating vertically um, just a few feet off the ground um, and it would just last for a few moments and then I would be conscious in my body again. And at the time I, I kind of didn't know what to make of it so I just had no reference points. My mum and dad weren't religious, there were no books in the house on anything like that. So it was, it was just another strange experience that I didn't know how to understand or how to contextualise. Um, so what happened after that was I saw a TV program, I think maybe three or four months afterwards, which talked about astral projection. I'd never heard the term before, but astral projection seemed to describe something very similar to what I was experiencing. So I basically went out into central London to a big bookshop there looked for all the books and I found one book called Out of Body Experiences, a handbook by Janet Lee Mitchell, who was a parapsychologist, so it was from a very scientific kind of background. So I read that and in the back of the book there were a few suggestions in terms of techniques and ways that you could maybe try and have an experience for yourself. So from that book essentially I pieced together a technique and managed after it was quite a while, it took me about six months. But after six months, I had my first consciously induced experience. And I, this was more like a classic description of an out-of-body experience where I, I found myself 
lift out of my body with, with quite a jolt, actually. It was almost like a, a shock had gone through my body. And then I lifted out um, maybe four feet above my body. And then I was just looking straight down at myself. My body appeared almost greyed out, almost like a black and white photograph. How did that make you feel to see your body? I mean, did you initially think that you'd passed over? Not really, because it didn't seem like me. Um, it was it was a strange feeling because I was looking at I was looking at an image that looked like me, and I knew was me in a sense. But I felt like me was the was the body that was floating in the air. Um, so. No, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't really scary or anything. It was just strange. I remember looking at myself and thinking, is that me or isn't that me? And, you know, kind of recognising my features and realising that it was me, but that it seemed somehow other, somehow alien, because it wasn't, it wasn't animated and it wasn't, reacting to what I was doing. What I was doing was all within this second body, this kind of energy body that, w that seemed to be floating above myself. So, yeah. So could you feel, yeah, yeah. I mean, could, if, you, if you imagine being in the body, could you still feel um, sensory inputs? Like, you know, was you aware of your heart beating or breathing, that kind of thing? No, not, not at all. It was some... Um, it seemed completely separate to me. There was no real, especially in, in that experience, I, I don't recall any, any connection at all. It was like they were completely separate things. And like I say, my second body, the out-of-body body, seemed much more me in the real body. Um, but unfortunately in that experience, I couldn't move very much. I was, it felt like I was kind of fixed to the spot almost. So I couldn't couldn't really see much around me. Yeah, I mean, really interesting to know. You know, obviously, as you, as you progressed in this, um, you know, you're able to have this amazing freedom where you can go anywhere. You know, you can see anything. You could probably go out and see the, the planets in the solar system, or you could visit other places on on planet Earth that you wouldn't normally be able to get to. You know. Yeah, well, I, I have had a few experiences like that. Um, one one fairly recent one where I, where I was in what I now know was the upper atmosphere of the Earth, looking down at the at the at the rotating planet. Basically, just you know, I could see the the atmosphere kind of going off into the distance with light kind of coming through it, and I could look down at the oceans and the continents slowly kind of rotating below me. So yeah, that was quite. A, amazing experience and I've had other ones earlier on that was fairly recent obviously you've got some works that's come up in London in um, September do you have techniques that people can use um, that they can use to, sim to quite simply go into that state of mind I mean I must admit when I was younger my my brother had an outer body experience and it was just completely spontaneous he was um, we just come back from holiday and he was tired he was lying down on the bed I was in my bedroom um, and then he just, next thing you know, he was floating and he was um, literally a few inches away from the ceiling. He turned around, he could see the body on the bed. And then, curiously, he just decided to come through the walls and visit me in my bedroom. And <laughs> that was the whole reason I got into this whole spiritual thing because I, I bought loads of books on it myself. Um, he didn't seem oh. to care. <laughs> <laughs> And and I spent you know many months trying to achieve it, and then the most I got was just I came halfway out and I kept bouncing backwards and forwards really quickly, um, but it was almost like a, a fight to get out, and you know and then I just shot back in out in out, and it was quite frightening really. My heartbeat was going really really fast, um, and and after that I kind of gave up because it just felt like something was stopping me. So. Mm. Well, I, I think there are a lot of unconscious fears in built into the experience that maybe people aren't aware of. So even when they're going through the techniques and even though in a conscious sense people can be very committed to that they want to have the experience, I think what, what you realise after a while is that these fears still inhibit people. 
if you take like even my first experiences, I was limited to the room, to my bedroom, in for at least the first six months of, of my experiences. And I now think that was to do with an unconscious limitation that I was putting onto myself. Um, and I think that can be the same with people actually trying to have the experience for the first time, that there can be this unconscious block of, you know, letting go. Because in a way, actually having an out-of-body experience force of will or projection or... I think astral projection is almost an unfortunate term because it implies that it's this kind of pushing and sort of, you know, sending something out kind of process. And I think it's actually more of a allowing the, the, the process to happen, allowing yourself to relax to a, to a deep enough state, um, allowing the energy, the kind of wave experience that a lot of people call the vibrational state, allowing that to take place and then allowing the separation to happen. So it's all a kind of um, surrendering almost to the experience. Um, but a lot of people hold back from that or they try too hard almost. Um, so it's, it's an important thing to try and look at what's going on unconsciously with the experience as well. Yeah. So that's okay. one of the approaches I take. Yeah. I'm fascinated to know actually when you, when you go out, from books it seems to suggest that reality almost seems slightly different to how we would view it it's almost like it's a little bit I don't know like shadowy almost is that is that true mm. um well I, I think experiences are different for different people um there's I, I mean in my own experience there's definitely different types of different ways that we experience reality around us for, for example, um, I sometimes see physical buildings in, in this reality um, almost as energy. They seem to radiate energy. And I think this is because they've almost accumulated energy in a, as a kind of battery. They've, they've built up energy over time and now they, they seem to vibrate or seem to have and, uh, a particular signature, energy signature about them. Whereas another, another, in another experience, human beings will seem far more energized and physical objects will seem almost invisible. Um, so I, I think it's very much, again, to do with the particular level or the particular filter that you're using and how you're operating in your experience. So if you think think about it in terms of raising consciousness. I think it's to do with the way that your consciousness is attuned. Because I think all of this stuff is to do with the art, that our consciousness is essentially interconnected with everything around us. And sometimes that connection is stronger because we've, we've managed to get deep enough to make that connection. And other times it's less so. So I, th I think it's to do with that how things appear. So sometimes they can appear more real and sometimes they can appear more fluid. And um, The classic experiences where things seem blended between objective and subjective reality can take place. I'm just wondering if there's different levels when you can astral... Actually, is it astral projection? That's right, isn't it? So you can move your consciousness um, into the kind of physical reality. So you're your consciousness is viewing what the physical looks like outside the body but there's also kind of like other layers almost like the astral as well where you might have a complete mirror image of the physical but there might not be any beings walking around like a carbon copy yeah have you seen that kind of thing going on um I mean, with, with the whole astral thing, I, I tend to avoid that term because it has a connection to theosophy and different belief systems and I try to in my approach I try to strip everything down and just say what is the essence of the experience so with, with other levels yeah I mean there are there are ex uh, levels that seem to be almost yeah like, like carbon copies of this reality and there doesn't seem to be many people and then other experiences where the classic almost 
summer land kind of concepts that people describe where there's where things seem like almost a heaven-like environment where there's you know there seems to be communities of people who are operating on that level but of course that those kinds of experiences are very hard to to evaluate objectively because we don't really know what we're experiencing and you know how how real it is so if you've experienced anything where you've been able to go somewhere out of the body and then afterwards confirm what's there yeah i've had several experiences like that the the first one was in central london um i was um i i laid down to go to sleep and then i just found myself out of my body turning the corner near marble arch and bayswater road in central london um i went straight down Bayswater Road and then off towards um, Portobello Road, that kind of area. And there was a there was a house and I went straight through the window of the house. Um, and it and the room was laid out like an office. And in this particular experience my vision and everything was really, really heightened. Um, and I was able to perceive the the name of the the guy who lived there. And um, memorize the location of the house and then afterwards I was able to verify the details of that of that particular person in his house um, and then I've also had quite very powerful precognitive experiences um, one of the Soho bombing um, in 99 where four four or five days before the bombing took place I I had an OBE, out-of-body experience, where I found myself standing on the street in Old Compton Street, um, looking down the street, and I saw an explosion and a guy running towards the explosion and just general chaos and emotional turmoil. That's what I experienced um, on the street. And then, yeah, five days later, um, a bombing took place there um, and then I had another experience like that of the London bombing as well the Old Gate East bombing I experienced being in the tunnel in an out-of-body experience as well so that's just unbelievable isn't it I mean that just in a way it confirms that time isn't you know it's it's not fixed in a sense and that um, in some ways there's a part of the future that already exists you know and it makes you wonder is the future fixed or is there many permutations of the future that you can travel to and it's already there it's, it's bizarre isn't it yeah I mean I struggled with those experiences a lot um, trying to look at them rationally and trying to work out what was going on um, in writing my book um, that's going to be published shortly I was I, I didn't know whether to include them. I was like, if I put these experiences in, it's like they're really out there and really difficult to get your head around. But then I thought, you know, for the integrity of the book, they have to be in there. Um, so then I decided to look into the science and see if there's, there was any way that these could be looked at in a scientific sense. Um, so I contacted Dean Radin, um, who's a researcher into psychic phenomena um, in different areas. Okay. And, and Dean Radin basically um, said to me that you can look at it like they're potentialities. So you don't, you don't have to necessarily think that everything's set, mm. but you can take the perspective that what you've perceived is a potential reality or a potential future. And it's so... It's so it's reached such a momentum in a way that the likelihood of that event taking place is so strong that, that essentially that's what happens. Mm. Um, so he, he that's kind of how he sees it. Yeah, and and he also explained that in a quantum sense there is no you know past and future. It's you know time is very um, malleable. Because mm. there's a philosophy or a theory around that. You know, you get echoes from the future hitting the current t 
timeline, if you want to call it that, if it's got a huge emotional response to it, mm. because it has a bigger impact. It's almost like a ripple, a pebble being dropped into um, a pond. Those ripples come out, and it's kind of those things that you pick up. But I also think that human beings, by very nature, we're very um, cyclic anyway. I think most people get into patterns, so we tend to just do the obvious. <laughs> I think. Uh, do you know what I mean? It's, um, it's yeah. even though we've got free will, we do tend to just go down the path that we're going to end up doing anyway. Um, mm. So that's just so interesting. It's so so interesting. It must be such a scary thing to have that kind of thing because it carries such a responsibility. On one hand, if you go out and tell the world that that's what you're seeing, um, the likelihood of doing that might actually change the future because um, it's almost like they. I think there's a theory in quantum uh, mechanics or whatever. If you observe something, um, it kind of changes or something like that. Is that right? Yeah, the observer effect. Yeah. yeah, the observer effect. So you could almost go out there as a, uh, someone who gives a prophecy and then it doesn't happen, and so therefore you look stupid. But then another event that's similar may happen that's also mm. just as ugly because it's carrying the same energy f uh, footprint kind of thing. And then you're left looking really silly. Well, one, one thing I didn't mention about those experiences that was quite interesting was that they, they both involved a kind of blue bluish gray coloring to my vision so everything i saw looked bluish gray so it was almost like i was seeing in a particular frequency and that this bluish gray frequency seemed to have something to do with the nature of these experiences and i've had three of these um i, I ended up calling them cerulean because that's the particular shade of blue that they that they appear um, and those particular experiences have all been accurate in terms of what I've seen through them. Um, so they, they've been some of the more interesting or most interesting experiences in that sense because they really challenge a lot of the ideas about how reality works and, and the whole thing. And, and they also opened me up to a whole range of spiritual ideas in terms of like compassion and um, social issues and things like that because the more I thought about like you're saying the responsibility of seeing something like that I thought about like what what actually the actions you know because both of these events were essentially terrorist attacks so in, in both of those experiences I I got into this thinking of you know why why do people act in this kind of inhuman way and that took me right back into thinking about my own background and my own youth and why people were violent in, on the streets and the, the whole thing. So it, it became an opening up process of me looking at the whole concept of spirituality in general. Mm. That's, that's an interesting approach, isn't it? So you're trying to find the cause rather than you know, to, to understand the experience better. I mean, on your journey, did you ever wonder why this happened to you have you ever kind of got to the bottom of it you know some people sort of go and see mystics or mediums or some people kind of do their own intuitive um, open up to find out but I mean do you know why it's happened to you is it all come together like a big jigsaw puzzle in a way that you're able to bring all this together with your art um, for some greater good well I definitely try to to channel everything towards a greater good and use it towards an idea of spiritual evolution for people and to try and offer ways that people can open up and transform because if someone who essentially was in, surrounded by crime and violence and drugs and all that all those kinds of things when I was growing up if someone like me from that kind of background can use these things to completely transform who they are and their life in a sense then I think anyone can so I think that's a really important message and and, it, and most books on spirituality don't really touch on those kinds of social issues to do with your you know to do with growing up in a difficult situation in your childhood and things like that so I've in my book, I really tried to look at. There's a whole chapter, for example, on on the 
the negative influences of growing up in London and how how they impacted me spiritually and how I how I've now explored whole areas like nonviolence and the whole concept of just living in a more peaceful way. Um, yeah. So it's completely gone full circle in a way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so what about your peers um, that you've grown up with? Are they still in that kind of cycle in, in that environment, or have they managed to sort of get themselves out of that as well? Um, some some people um, were, are still in the same kind of situation, and some people have ended up in prison and in bad situations and have not really moved forward. But some of my closest friends, interestingly, have also gone on a similar journey to some degree like one of my closest friends is a healer now um despite growing up on an estate in east london and you know not having a very shining childhood as well so he he as well has been on a similar journey and then i've got another friend who grew up again in the same sort of environment but is now um a teacher and is and lives in a different country and is very spiritual and is turned a lot of his life around so yeah I mean there's definitely been um, that friend for example says that my experiences opened the door for him in a sense mm. that it that it allowed him to open his horizons and think well there's more going on than kind of consumerism and these kind of limited worldviews that, that are around him mm. I mean you can be either sort of rich in material uh, stuff can't you or you could be rich in spirituality um, but it, it's kind of mad that people do you know a lot of degree that goes on you think are they aware that they're actually um, you know hindering their own spiritual progression because there's a lot of theories that these people know about stuff like this but choose to ignore it I mean maybe the earth plane is such a um, an addiction like it's almost hard to overcome you know it's like or oh, they know there's something better there's, there's something more spiritual on, on the horizon but they just can't let go of all of the greed and you know the material wealth they want to keep well I, th I think you've got such a huge amount of influence going on if you just think about television on its own just that um, that it influences people so much with even even if they're critical about what they're watching they're still being kind of pushed in a particular direction emotionally by what they're seeing so you're always being framed and um, influenced by these kinds of media so it's very hard when you're bombarded with that kind of thing day in day out to then say oh I'm not interested in that I'm gonna I'm gonna explore spiritual things because there's not that many hours in the day and most people are working eight hours a day, they get home, they put the TV on to try and relax a bit, you know, how much time is really left to think about other things or to, mm. you know, it's very few, people have to have to be pushed in some way, I think, to break out of that or yeah. to want to break out of that. Mm. But when you, I mean, something like an OBE is absolutely fascinating, isn't it? It's just, you realise then that consciousness isn't inside the body, you know, it's something that's external to it in some ways are we actually ever in the body at all you know like we think that we are looking out through our eyes mm. are we <laughs> you know, well, it, you know. has there been experience, episodes where people have gone back into their body and they're upside down for a little while um, not that I'm aware of um, was that just a myth <laughs> well I, I, I'm not I, I don't know I mean I, I think it's more it's more to do with how someone perceives and believes in the world, I, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's to do with consciousness. I think that essentially every cell of who we are is interconnected with everything around us. You know, you could you could say on a quantum level. I think it's to do with um, quantum non-locality or entanglement, which is this idea that particles are connected somehow instantly across. Any, any distance or time and space is, is irrelevant. I think it's to do with that. Um, there's a physicist called Brian Josephson um, who won the Nobel Prize who has written a whole theory about how psychic abilities might be possible using, using physics as the basis of his theory. Yeah, yeah. So sort of going back to the out-of-body experiences, um, 
it's, would you say it's similar to remote viewing or is that a completely different line of work because I read some books years ago on various remote viewers and they were able to sort of move their awareness to a far location um, and they could describe what was there but it seemed more like they would draw it down on paper um, with someone sitting next to them giving them sort of like rough coordinates or whatever um, mm. but they was able sometimes when they weren't working for the government because these were like secret government projects at the time um, some of them actually would go into the future so they would take their awareness and their consciousness into a forward time or even mm. like a different galaxy or star system and they were in connecting with other beings and they had the most amazing experiences and was almost able to tell what the earth would be like in the future um, whether that's set in stone again or whether it's a potential I mean have you ever come across anything like that you know through OBEs? Well yeah I think they're very closely connected and um, a few of the people who were involved in Project Stargate the remote viewing program um, like Joe McMonagall and Ingo Swan two of the really famous people I think Ingo Swan is credited with coining the term remote viewing um, both of them had OBEs in early on in their in their psychical development, if you like. Um, I think Joe McMonagall actually had a near-death experience and an out-of-body experience as part of the near-death experience. Um, and and it seemed sort of that after that they started to develop abilities and then they were they got involved in those in the remote viewing program. And yeah, Joe McMonagall's written a lot about time remote viewing, viewing into the time, into the future. So yeah, it's it's um I think the difference is just in degree. I think if you think that consciousness is the the way that the framework of how we experience the world, um, then there are deeper and deeper levels of how you're experiencing the world. And remote viewing is for me, is seeing, almost being in two levels at the same time. So you're still aware of the physical reality, but you're also tuned in to the psychical level or the interconnected level, the extended mind. So it's it's almost like, it's, it's essentially clairvoyance, but with a scientific mm. basis, a scientific structuring to yeah. make it more exact in how it works. But I think an out-of-body experience is where you've gone deep enough that your consciousness becomes completely separate from your physical awareness and you become fully aware in another location. So it's a, I think it's on a, on a scale, it's a, it's a deeper level in a way. Yeah. So have you, have you, made, have you met any other beings when you've been out of your body? Um, have you made kind of friends in, in the ast not astral <laughs> <laughs> and also is there a silver cord as well that you're hearing uh, okay well I'll start with the silver cord um, I've never experienced a silver cord um, and again I think it's to do with the framework of how your consciousness works and I think that maybe for some people a visual representation or a conscious representation of their connection with their body um, is something that works for them and makes sense to them. I mean, maybe there is a connection, but it's it's very it's very hard to say because some people do experience it, some people don't. So, with most things like that, I tend to be neutral and say, "Well, you know, I don't know," but it, there doesn't there doesn't there doesn't need to be one, is, is how I look at it, from, from what I've experienced. And as far as beings, um, there's, I've, had, I've had experiences where I've seen other people who appear to be also having an experience. Um, one, and also people physically seeing me in the experience, which was quite strange. Wow. But what the, the, fir the first time it happened where I saw someone in the OBE state who also saw me was um, a girl came up alongside me. We were floating down Edgware Road in London. <laughs> 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 and and uh, this girl just came up next to me, like also floating. And 
you know, surprised me, you know, because at that point I'd never seen anyone else, like, that was also having an experience. And we sort of looked at each other and had this kind of connection for a moment, and um, but we didn't, we weren't able to properly communicate or take it further than that. But there was a there was an awareness that we were both having a similar experience, um, and then also later on, I had other experiences where I saw um, other people who seemed to be having out body experiences around. I mean, my early experiences were mainly around, always around London, so I generally saw people in London, but but not often. I mean, seeing people in that experience was pretty rare, and then. Later on, when I started to explore those other levels, I, I became able to get to a level which seemed to be what, what you could call the afterlife or where people had passed on to, like coming close to that level. Mm. Um, and I seemed to be more aware of them, but them not aware of me. Right. Okay. With afterlife levels, it seems from my experiences anyway, that there's a, almost like a barrier between living people and people who are on that level. Yeah. So it's very, very hard to connect with them, but very interesting to experience. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, can you, can you describe what you see when you, you know, at that kind of level? Um, I saw environments that looked very much like natural earth environments, but with large groups of people, crowds of people, um, who seemed unaware of me. Um, so what, what it reminded me of was actually what people describe in near-death experiences when they describe going through the tunnel of light and then they reach a, a location that's full of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, that location is full of people, essentially. Um, my experience was very similar. There was no tunnel of light. But what I experienced was an environment full of full of light, which had figures, lots of figures, people waiting, almost. Yeah. Um, Were they dressed in modern clothing or old clothing? It was it was hard to say describe their clothing really because they seemed to be glowing. They seemed to be made more of energy. So clothing, you know, you, you could couldn't really make it out. Right. If, if, if they were even wearing it, it was more more that they were made of energy and in other experiences on more the the lower levels if you like or the non-afterlife levels um, people appeared more like auric multicolored different colors in different parts of their form so again you couldn't really discern any clothes it was more that they were just made of energy so have you, have you kind of come across your guides or doorkeepers or anything like that when you been out and about as well well that what you could call my guides or my higher self or that kind of level um didn't really come through through our body experiences um it was more through i i started to do a practice where i would do a kind of standing standing meditation um and i used to go to like an open space green open space and i would do this standing meditation and um, different forms of trance work and what I what I found through that was I started having visionary experiences through doing that and in those experiences I, I connected with uh, a type of consciousness if you like um, that I ended up calling Shah and May which is um, also the name of the, the organization that I started so I see Charme, if you like, as yeah. my my higher self or my spiritual philosophy. There's yeah. a whole story behind how that all came through, and um, but it's too much to go into oh. now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I understand where you're coming from the higher self thing, because you know some people have comfort in lots of different guides, um, but you know, in, in some respects, we can just become our own guide can't we in a sense you connect to your own higher self you, you know we, we are part of a that beautiful pure consciousness already um, yeah so you know it's, it, people, 
people have different ways of looking at it really but I see I quite like the higher self aspect of it as well because you feel like you are um, giving yourself credit almost that you are part of the, what, the whole creation and you're not limiting yourself and mm. so that's really good I mean one of the things that some people often talk about when they um, you know look to embark on out of body experiences is that you know is there any danger to it some people worry about that they're not going to be able to come back what happens if they're out and about and someone suddenly attacks them <laughs> you know if it attacks their physical body or they meet negative entities you know that kind of thing I mean what sort of advice do you have on that? Um, well, it's it's a very common fear, but I can say that if if you if you count the the very early experiences I had, um, I've been having out of body experiences regularly for twenty three years now, um, and I've had hundreds of experiences, and I've never experienced anything negative. Um, so, I. I don't think it's a huge thing to worry about. I think essentially if if someone has fears and issues with that kind of thing, then like I say in my workshops and in um, the way I teach the techniques, I try to address those right at the beginning so that the person has a good foundation from which to develop the skills because I think it's more to do with our own fears and if, if those things do exist, then I think if we're full of fear or we have fears, we're going to attract those things through that fear or we're, or we're going to go to that level through that fear. So I think ultimately we need to address that primarily very early on um, and then, you know, and then I don't think that's an issue. Yeah, okay. I mean, do you want to sort of go into um, a bit detail about the, the workshops? In, is it two in September? Have you got two coming up? There's... Well, what, what I've done is I've got one um, that's a one-day workshop coming up shortly on the 19th, um, and then I'm doing a Skype-based four-week course for people who can't make the, the workshops in person or for people who want to take it step-by-step step and work at home. And, and then each week they'll get feedback um, the way I work it is people keep a detailed diary during the week of what they've been doing based on what I teach them. And then the following week we, we follow up on that. So I, that, that's another way of doing it. And then um, in May next year I'm running a, a two-day um, intensive retreat um, near Glastonbury at the Parsonage Side uh, Retreat Centre who actually have hemi-sync technologies already set up, which is, um, it, yeah, it's a, it's a great system for some people. The sound, it works with sound frequencies to help people have out-of-body experiences. But I'm also going to introduce some of my own technologies that I've developed um, that use all of the senses. Because one of the things that I, I realized early in my developing new techniques and new approaches was that people don't, most of the techniques are either visual in the sense of you imagine something and you try to induce the experience through visualization or they use sound frequencies like hemi-sync. But then I started to think, well, we could use all the senses, we can use sound, smell, visuals, you know, and we can actually, instead of just imagining things, we can also use hypnotic video sequences which I've developed you can use physical installations, which I've also built, which actually lift the person off the ground. So it's a really big suggestion to your unconscious that that you want to have an experience, you want to have an out-of-body experience. Um, so I, I've, I've tried to look at it like that. I've tried to take all of our sensory experience and use all of that to help the person have an experience rather than just saying lay down on your bed and think about think about floating or something I'm, I'm trying to kind of and also I work in a way where each person at the workshops develops a profile which is essentially a breakdown of their character traits by doing that the person gains more insight about who they are as a person but more than that we can see what's different about them and what techniques will work best for them 
some people, for example, are morning per people. They, they're much better at doing things early in the morning. Other people are much better late at night. Some people are very emotional and then they're better if they've got a support structure, so i.e. if they're working with another person. Most of the astral projection books and courses, they focus on it being a solitary process, but it doesn't need to be. It can be a process that you do with a couple or, you know, can be done in a group even. So, you know, these are all concepts that haven't really been moved forward for a long time. So, we're, I'm also writing a practical book, um, which is going to be published next year. So, I'm also trying to bring in all of these different concepts and try and move the whole idea of how these experiences can be um, forward. Yeah. I mean, it's a great idea with working with different people as well because um, it takes away the fear. If you know, sometimes when you're on your own doing it, you have that fear of, you know, will I not come back? But knowing you've got other people there to support you, it makes it feel mm. more safe in a way. So, I mean, have you, how, when working with people, what's the, um, how long does it normally take for people to get results? Um, you know, does it, do some people get results quicker? Do others just, you know, they can't do it at all? Well, well, definitely, it, it does depend on the person, and and some people um, will take longer. But actually, the the key factor has nothing to do with psychic ability or anything like that. It, it is really just to do with having the perseverance to go through the process. That's what I found is that often um, people have all of the all of the traits to be really good at it, um, but then they they don't actually put it into practice. Um, so it, it's really about, again, breaking out of that routine of this is how I run my life and this is how I do things and giving yourself space to actually experiment and allow these things to happen. Um, I think once you allow space in your life, so much opens up. Um, on so many levels and this this experience is no different the more you the more you allow it to, the freedom to take place the more it, likely it will be that it will happen yeah is it easier to sort of create some kind of structure like you know every day put a time aside to, to try and do this you know have discipline um, try and do it every day for an hour at nine o'clock or something like that rather than just doing it when you think about it yeah, I mean, it doesn't even need to be an hour because I found in my in my workshops and working with people that most 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 of the time you can tell within say fifteen minutes whether the experience is going to happen. Um, I also focus a lot on the vibrational state, which is where people feel this intense energy vibrating through their body. Um, or it can be like a wave sensation as well. I tend to experience it like a big wave-like energy form going through my body. Um, when people get that experience, then that's a big sign that they can potentially have an OBE now. So at that point, I would say to them to continue to keep, you know, to keep focused and keep relaxed and to focus on that energy and amplify that energy. If they don't get anything like that, then it's less likely that the experience is going to happen. So you don't need to lay there for hours and hours. I mean, I, I did that when I was learning it, and, and now it's kind of, you realize later on that it's there'll be some sign that it's going to happen. You'll kind of know somehow, I, I tend to think. People tend to say to me before they have an experience um, for the first time that, yeah, that night I felt my energy was high and the vibrations just started or I almost felt like I was floating before I even laid down. You know, things like that. It's kind of signs, I think, yeah. often. Well, I mean, I'm not joking here, but some people might even have an out-of-body experience just by listening to this. And the reason why I say <laughs> that is because I, I lent um, an out-of-body experience book to a friend who's a skeptic and he, he, read the, he read the book and he got halfway through it and he just chucked it back at me and said that I've just been having, he couldn't, he couldn't sleep. He said every time he tried to lie down, he felt like he was going to shoot out of his body. 
mm. and, and it scared the living daylights out of him and he just gave the book back to me <laughs> <laughs> so it can almost like open you up just being aware that you can do it well sure if you think about it in terms of hypnosis um, it's a suggestion it's, it's something I think a lot of having an OBE is about communicating with your unconscious mind it's like I was saying about the fears thing. If there's fears there, that stops you. But also if there's inspiration and there's interest and there's creativity, in the same sense, that can also push you forward and push you out into, into an experience. So the more open and inspired and you know, willing to, to kind of engage with it you are, the more, more likely the experience will happen, I think. So, yeah. Do you get the buzzing noise in your ears as well? Like a, it's like a really high-pitched buzz. Haven't haven't had that. You haven't had that, but, okay. But yeah, a lot of people do describe that. Because I, I, I start to get palpitations. My heart starts going really fast, and I can feel the buzzing going, this wave going from my body. And then you get this sound that sort of shoots in your head. It's like a buzzing sound. It gets higher and higher and higher. And at mm. that point, I feel like I'm going to go, if you like, but something is just stopping me. It's really, really weird. And obviously there's something in my subconscious which I'm not aware of because um, I want to go consciously, but something's stopping me from going. And yeah, or well, maybe it's, it's just, like I say as well, just letting, letting, go. letting go to the experience as well. Because one thing that is common in that kind of state that you're describing where you've got the energy waves you've got the, the high-pitched sounds, you've got all the signs that your energy is activated, if you like, but then at the same time, it's not going. It's because sometimes people do one of two things. They either tense, so they lose their relaxation, and the mm. relaxation is really important, or they they push, kind of, with their willpower. They start, kind of, which is, it, they're both related, really. Both Both create tension and cancel out the, the exiting process or the or the separating process. So it's it's important to at that point to almost relax more, let that energy just completely build and reach a pinnacle and, and that's usually when it happens. And and also let go of preconceptions because a lot of people think, oh I'm gonna feel myself floating out of my body and then I'm gonna turn around and um, Muldoon and Carrington, who wrote Projection of the Astral Body, one of the first really big books on the subject and still considered the classic on the subject. Um, there's a diagram in that book, very classic diagram, with an image of a second body coming out or an astral body and it's slowly moving up into a vertical position and it's got a silver cord and then it gradually turns around and looks at itself. I mean, that's you know, that gives people a very set idea of how it's going to happen. And for me, most of my experiences now happen more in a kind of phasing way where I'll be in the experience where I'm having the waves and the energy and everything's building up and then I'll almost surrender to that experience. And then a few moments later, I'll be aware that I'm no longer in my body. I'll have the sensation that I'm floating and I'll open my eyes, like, um, in my second body, and, and then I'll see that I'm in a different location. So it's almost like I've shifted from one location to another. They're, now I don't really even experience the separation very much, and I, I'm very rarely in my home now. But I think that's because there's been a shift in my sense of comfort with the experience, and I don't... I don't limit myself anymore to that sense of, oh, I need to be in familiar locations. So now, wherever my consciousness wants to take me, it will, it will just take me. So mm. Yeah, sure, sure. So have you ever sort of checked out holiday destinations before you've gone there? <laughs> <laughs> See if the hotel looks good. <laughs> um, not quite, but um, I've had experiences where I've gone to a distant location and then that's inspired me to go there like I, like the, the Himalayas for example I had experiences where I went to the Himalayas in, in India um, before and then I became very motivated that I, I wanted to go there so now I've been twice to the Himalayas in India and three times to India so it's kind of really 
been like you know it ended up drawing me to go there yeah yeah i mean one of the big things a lot there's speculation there could be bases on the moon or mars and you think well you know if i could do that i'd go there and have a look well i have i have projected to um the moon and i didn't didn't see anything out of the ordinary (laughs) in those experiences but but obviously i you know in an experience like that i mean most experiences only last around 20 minutes um and it's very hard to see an entire planet or you know scan everything and and also you know your there are limits to your perceptions and how much control you have the more you try and control the experience you have the same problem with the vibrations. The more you, the more your conscious mind interrupts the experience, the more the energies get interrupted, and, and the experience usually ends. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just one last question. Do you think when we dream that we astral travel as well? Because when I was younger, I had loads of flying dreams, and people talk about flying dreams, don't they? And when they suddenly wake up, they feel like they're being, they're crashing into their body, like a big thud in the bed. So you think, do we go astral traveling, perhaps, when we dream mm. as well? Um, I, I I haven't found a big correlation between dreams and out-of-body experiences, I, um, but I'm sure on that spectrum of consciousness, those grades of consciousness that that you can experience i'm sure there are there is a crossover point between dream and out-of-body experiences but in my own understanding um there's a few distinct differences for example like rem rapid eye movement doesn't take place when i'm having an out-of-body experience um which i've had feedback on um, I've also looked into studies where they've monitored people whilst having out-of-body experiences and they also didn't experience REM. So um, that tends to give the indication that it's not quite the same as a dream. Yeah. Um, also, dreams always happen when you're asleep. Um, out-of-body experiences tend to happen to me when I'm in a waking state, you know, just I lay down in the evening. Um, so there's quite a few factors that differentiate the two. Mm. And also, dreams can take any format, any shape you can think of, whereas our body experiences do tend to follow a more structured formula. You know, they, they, you do tend to feel yourself as a body outside your physical body. You do tend to feel that you're physically in the environment. You tend to be floating, whereas in dreams... I, I mean, I know people, like you say, have flying dreams, but people also equally have lots of other kinds of dreams. So I, 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 don't, I don't think there's a big relationship, but there may be some crossover point. I mean, absolutely fascinating, fascinating subjects. I really, um, I want to go back now and probably try and give it another go, I think. <laughs> so, uh, you never know. Oh, I, I, to be honest, I'd be so, um, I don't know, so excited if that happened. I just put because all those years ago, you know, I just stopped myself from doing it because it just felt like something was blocking me, and then I just made the the assumption perhaps I shouldn't have been doing it, but you know maybe I just stopped myself from doing it and maybe I should give it another go. But say if people want to give this a go, they can um, attend your workshops, can't they? And you do an amazing thing as well. You you offer people different prices um, depending on their wage scale, you know, and you put the trust in them to you know. To when I can, yeah. Um, well, because, you know, my agenda with this was never about money. It was about getting, you know, getting these ideas out to people. And, I, I, you know, I, I, I came from a very poor background and I, I didn't, I don't want to exclude people on, on low wages. I mean, I can't do that for everything I do. Um, you know, like when you do a residential workshop, for example, you can't do that because there's food and accommodation and all those things. But when when it's a more ordinary workshop, I like to give people the option to pay, yeah, what what they can afford. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's a, honestly a wonderful thing. I was absolutely amazed when I saw that. I just thought, crikey, <laughs> if, you know, maybe other people just take the lead off that. It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Well, often- well, actually, the, the London College of Spirituality, where I did a workshop last year, they also do that with a lot of their workshops. So. 
yeah. give them credit for that too. Because that's one of the things I often hear, you know, I post workshops up onto uh, the site or let people know on our Facebook group and sometimes the prices are so high, there's a ton of people that want to go and they, they just feel they can't, obviously. Um, so that's really, really good. So if people want to find out about your workshops, um, you've got your own website, haven't you? Yeah. So what's that? GrahamNichols.com, which is G-R-A-H-A-M-N-I-C-H-O-L-L-S.com. Fantastic. Okay, well, I am just fascinated by the subject. I'm sure many of our people are as well. And um, and thank you very much for coming on and sharing your story. No problem. Good to talk to you. And you. Thank you. <laughs>